brain attack, the golden hour of stroke. Over 700,000 Americans have a new or recurrent stroke each year. What do you know about the time to treatment? You're listening to ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Shira Johnson, your host, and with me today is Dr. Ralph Sacco, Professor and Chairman of Neurology at the University of Miami, Miller School of Medicine, and Chief of Neurology at Jackson Memorial Hospital. Dr. Sacco has been the principal investigator since 1990 of the NIH-funded Northern Manhattan Study, which looks at incidence and risk factors for CVA in an urban population in Manhattan. He was also a lead researcher at New York Columbia Hospital and has published extensively in the area of stroke prevention, treatment, risk factors, and stroke reoccurrence. Today we're talking about brain attack and the golden hour of stroke. Welcome, Dr. Sacco. Hi. Thank you for having me. Dr. Sacco, what's the most interesting development in the field of stroke neurology today? What's new that has you really excited? Well, so much is happening in stroke and in terms of improving our ability to treat that it's really an exciting time. The number of stroke centers that are out there being accredited in the United States is rapidly increasing, and the approach to acute stroke has really changed, particularly with the advent of thrombolytics and now interventional approaches to acute stroke. Now, thrombolytics, they've really evolved in the world of stroke. What have we learned about their appropriate usage? Well, CPA has now been approved for a number of years. There were landmark studies that were done by the NINDS and proved that giving intravenous TPA within three hours of an acute ischemic stroke had a remarkable improvement in 90-day outcomes from stroke. Despite, you know, the approval of those 700,000 strokes each year that occur in the U.S., sometimes only 2 to 5% are getting acute TPA. So we know there's underutilization, and that's why there's been such a big increase in the number of stroke centers that are capable to give TPA, and two, that there have been huge public health campaigns to improve the number of people that recognize the warning symptoms of stroke and get the urgent attention needed. You know, when TPA first came out a good few years ago for stroke, a lot of clinicians seemed a little reluctant to utilize it. How have you seen that change? Well, I mean, I think with experience, it's become clearer that despite the risk, and there is some risk, there is a lot of benefit. It's pretty clear that, yes, there may be a risk of actually transforming a bland infarct into a hemorrhagic infarct or a frank brain hemorrhage. But despite that risk, there is really remarkable improvement. What's also been shown is that when you follow the guidelines and you follow the protocol, you can try to at least minimize that risk. But, you know, physicians are sometimes risk averse and we don't want to do anything that will hurt our patients. But we have to recognize that not giving TPA is probably more of a danger in terms of the outcomes in our stroke patients, which will be less improved. What about the role of the family? Because families are better educated today. Have you ever heard of an instance where the clinicians wanted to give TPA and the family, because of what they heard or read about, were reluctant to consent? Well, usually it's the reverse. 
Yeah, really? Nowadays, you know, if you have a family who is dealing with a loved one who's just had a stroke, they want to do whatever they can. And in most instances that I've had personally to deal with, you know, it's often the family that may even be bringing up the issue of, can't we give my mother or my father the uh, clot-busting medicine, TPA? And sometimes they're beyond the window and we wouldn't do it. But, you know, it really is incumbent upon us to try to do everything we can to quickly get patients worked up, evaluated, and treated appropriately with TPA. Most of the lawsuits that have been actually out there have mainly been for lack of use of giving TPA as opposed to for giving it inappropriately. Now, you mentioned that window, and when we were talking before the show, we were talking about the meta-analysis that was done with European data that talked about the time from stroke symptoms to fibrolytics. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about that? Yeah, well, there was actually great evidence from all of the studies that had already been done, including the NIH funded studies that approve the benefit of TPA within three hours. There have been other studies, European cooperative acute stroke studies, some studies funded by the companies that went to as far as six hours with intravenous TPA after stroke. And a large meta-analysis was done that combined the data. And in that meta-analysis, the first thing was that it was pretty clear that the earlier you give the treatment, the better the benefit. People that got it within like 60 minutes of their stroke had a much better benefit. It was also clear from the meta-analysis that there was some benefit in the three to four and a half hour window. Now, right now, IVTPA is approved by the FDA and licensed for use in up to three hours after an acute ischemic stroke. But the meta-analysis actually suggested some benefit in the three to four and a half hour window, and that actually led to another study that had been just completed in Europe. Now, in the U.S., is that window pretty rigid? Do clinicians hesitate? Do they not go beyond the three-hour window from what you've seen? Well, you know, physicians deal with individual protocols. Now that there's new data out there, now published in the New England Journal, that has suggested some benefit in beyond the three-hour but before the four-and-a-half-hour window, certain protocols have been revised. Right now, though, the American Heart Association, American Stroke Association guidelines have not yet been revised based on this new evidence. And currently, the grade A recommendation is still IVTPA within three hours of onset of ischemic stroke. But I'll bet you there'll be changes soon. Can you explain to our audience who is not all ED physicians or neurologists, what is a brain attack team and why do we need them? Well, basically, there have been now published guidelines about what it takes to be a brain attack center or a stroke center. In the country, there are various states that have organized and even through their state departments of public health have started to approve and even accredit, in some cases, stroke centers. JACO has taken on this charge and working with the American Heart Association has also formed a stroke accredited certified program for JACO certified primary stroke centers. And to be able to really provide acute IV 
TPA and all the other things we do, even beyond IV TPA to improve stroke, you need a coordinated team. You need imaging that has to be available 24-7. You need a brain attack champion, which is often a neurologist, to help lead a team. You need nurses. You need neurosurgery, sometimes on standby. You need emergency room docs that recognize the symptoms and work carefully with the stroke team. You need people to have the right amount of knowledge and continuing medical education work in stroke such that everybody is working as a really coordinated effort because it isn't easy to be able to provide IV TPA within three hours of acute ischemic stroke. Everything has to be working like a well-oiled machine. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Clinician's Roundtable from ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Shira Johnson, and I'm speaking with Dr. Ralph Sacco. We're discussing brain attack, or the golden hour, and it may be more than an hour, after a CVA. So if you're having a stroke and your paramedics need to make that diagnosis and get your ambulance to the right facility immediately, that's a triage issue also. How far have we come in making that triage? Well, things have improved. I mean, there are many centers out there now where paramedics will radio ahead of time to emergency room departments, let them know that they may have a potential brain attack en route. I mean, think of it like trauma or acute STEMI and myocardial infarctions where we want to be able to ready the team in advance. Emergency room departments then get prepared. We may have to have, you know, patients triaged out of the CT scanner to allow an acute stroke to go into a CT scan or an MRI, depending on the hospital, to rapidly get brain imaging. Bloods need to be done acutely, and the brain attack stroke team needs to get to the bedside see the patient, examine them, and often get everything diagnostically done before they treat with IV TPA. So what happens if you get thrombolytics and they don't reverse or halt your symptoms? What other therapeutic modalities are out there? Well, nowadays, we do have other options. I mean, first, it has been shown in clinical trials that given intra-arterial TPA or thrombolytics may actually improve acute middle cerebral artery occlusive stroke up to six hours. And how is that given? That's usually given through catheters. You need an interventional approach to do that, and that's intra-arterial therapy. So not every center can do that. You definitely need an endovascular, either neurology interventionalist, surgical intervention or surgical interventionalist, or even radiologist interventionalist to be able to put things through catheters intra-arterially. We also have two devices now that have been approved by the FDA for what's called clot retrieval. And there is the Mercy device and the Penumbra device. And these devices at least are licensed for use to retrieve emboli or clots in intracranial arteries up to about eight hours of an ischemic stroke. There are still some big studies going on to look at their clinical efficacy, but these devices will improve recanalization acutely. So nowadays we talk about what's called drip and ship. We may start IV TPA early, given within that three-hour window, and then if there isn't rapid improvement, they may need to move to a comprehensive stroke center where we can do these interventional approaches. So when we say comprehensive stroke center, we mean that beyond TPA, everything is available, correct? 
Correct. Comprehensive stroke centers mean you have really an endovascular neurointerventional approach. There are new definitions that will be coming out, and you may even see in the future some certification programs that will be out there for comprehensive stroke centers. But really what defines the difference is the ability to use catheter-based interventions and all the other modalities to treat acute stroke beyond the three-hour window. So a hospital may be a brain attack center and can handle TPA, but they don't have the capacity to handle the other modalities. Correct. It takes a really more advanced team of 24-7 endovascular physicians and the whole team to really treat intraarterial approaches to stroke therapy. Do you have that at Miami yet? Yes, Miami is a comprehensive stroke center. We have the luxury of having both a neurologist trained in endovascular procedure and a neurosurgeon working side-by-side as a team and have 24-7 coverage for endovascular approaches to acute stroke. We're probably the only, at this point, comprehensive stroke center in Miami-Dade County. That's excellent. What are some of the signs and symptoms of an acute stroke that maybe even the medical community may miss? There's a lot of ads targeting the lay public, but clinicians can miss symptoms too of patients presenting atypically. Well, that's true. I mean, even the classic symptoms of, you know, sudden loss of vision in one eye, sudden weakness, numbness, or tingling on one side of the body, sudden difficulty speaking, or sudden difficulty walking, or sudden severe headache, particularly in a bleeding-type stroke, often may be missed by the public, and we hope our physicians are picking up on these. There are certain atypical symptoms that can occur and sometimes have been reported more frequently in either younger people with stroke or in women. For example, loss of consciousness or sometimes a headache or pain syndromes. Pain is less typical for stroke, but certain pain syndromes have been seen more frequently, usually some kind of headache pain or behind the eye pain or even neck pain that can occur in acute ischemic strokes. So do men and women have a different presentation of stroke? There have been some reports. I mean, I think we like to first think of similarities and similarities of our approach to both treatment and prevention in men and women, but there have been some reports that women may have a greater frequency of certain atypical symptoms at presentation of stroke, like the loss of consciousness or the pain syndromes. So tell us about the role of aspirin in stroke prevention. Is there any speculation on why there is a gender difference? Well, that's a great question, and that moves us more into, you know, thinking about prevention. I mean, most of us for acute stroke, we will try to use aspirin in the 24-hour window, but when we're talking about aspirin and prevention, it's been shown by very large studies that aspirin will prevent myocardial infarction in men. In women, the trials haven't shown that aspirin prophylactically will actually prevent MI. However, in women over age 65, it has been shown that taking aspirin, and usually we'll use 81 milligrams of aspirin a day, will prevent stroke, but not MI. So we have a little bit of a gender paradox in terms of aspirin's primary preventative approach in men and women. It prevents MI in men. That's based on good trials. It prevents stroke in older women. Dr. Sacco, thank you for being our guest today. It's been really good talking with you. Oh, it's been great. Thank you very much. We give our thanks today to Dr. Ralph Sacco, who's been our guest. We've been discussing brain attack, the golden hour after a CVA. I am Dr. Shira Johnson. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable from ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. And thank you, as always, for listening.